0: Okay, people, in this episode of Just for Sport, I give props to Carrington J. Simons, an Emmy Award-winning producer and senior manager of content and programming at Monumental Sports Network. We talk about his transformation from an HBCU athlete to working in the content space in sports, how betting will change the landscape in sports, the evolution of eSports, and what he hopes to see from the NFL with Black Lives Matter now that the season is here. But up first, it's Haley's comments again. We talk about conquering our fears and a 115-foot wave, needing a mercy rule in sports, and in this case baseball, is it more hype than talent with Jalen Ramsey now that he has this new contract, and we shed a tear for keeping up with the Kardashians. And I share a really cool story about my kind of six degrees of separation with Kim. For the Props Network, this is just for sport in three, two, one. Okay, people, here we go. It's time for another week where we get into Haley's comments and uh, Haley, I saw the rundown, and I fear for myself as we get a little <laughs> further down. I was rather scared. No fear. Okay, we'll get into it.
1: Let's <laughs> feet start. on the ground.
0: Okay, feet on the ground. They are, Let's start out with some baseball. Okay.
1: This season has looked really different, covid tinge season. Um, one, one team that was plagued by... COVID quite literally at the beginning of the season, the Miami Marlins. Um, now, all of these rules were kind of made to adjust the schedule so that no team would really, really go too hard on their roster, have to bring guys back and forth. So extra innings limited to 10. Um, you got a runner on second base. Well, all of that kind of goes out the window when a team scores nearly 30. Runs in a ball game within nine frames. Chamoke, the Braves scored 29 runs on the Marlins the other night. Do you think there should have been a mercy rule, maybe the Little League style stop at like 10 runs in a ball game because of COVID?
0: So, my thing that first came to mind when I saw that the Braves were continuing to score runs is I was trying to see if they could score more runs than the number of Marlins that contracted COVID. And they get that record. It was 20 to 29 uh, that the Marlins uh, actually had 20 players that contracted COVID and the Braves scored more runs than those players. Um, I also, the the second note that came to my mind is where were the Marlins when they got in trouble the first time? They were in Atlanta, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know? And so Derek Jeter chastises the team and says, hey, they lost their focus. Well, I don't know if maybe staying in the hotel and sequestered and in a bubble, so to speak, in the hotel made it worse because 29 runs, I mean, yeah, there definitely needs to be a mercy rule when that comes into play. I mean, that's insane. I mean, I feel like, okay, we already talked about unwritten rules. At some point, I would think that an unwritten rule is if you're up 10 runs, you just strike out looking unless the team scores another five. If it gets to within five or six, then maybe you got to start playing again. But when it gets over 10, that should be an unwritten rule, right? Let's ask Justin, Mm -hmm. right? Once you get to 10 runs, it's like, okay, Don't worry about scoring anymore. Just strike out looking or, you know, weak rounders or bunts just so they can get some outs and the game can be over. Because the mercy rule is not just because the Marlins need to be given a break. The mercy rule is for the viewer. And if there were fans in the stands, for them too. We need to not be watching this. If I'm a Marlins fan, you're just killing me. You're killing me. I want this game over. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's batting practice it one guy is. Adam Duvall for the for the birds hit three home runs you you would think that the guys would be worried about the postgame spread getting cold that would be my concern if the game goes that long you know you're gonna be stuck with the deli platter and no one wants the deli platter no. after a 29 run ball game yeah. get back in the clubhouse just yeah take some pitches strike out looking it's fine, it's fine. Right.
0: let's let's end this and you know <laughs> I, at that point also, any of the bench players, just let them go out and pitch. Because there's no point in wasting arms. They didn't the pitchers right. didn't do anything. So or at least everyone stop gets the an runs. yeah, everybody. Yeah. You know, just get them out there. 29. All right, runs. Some, That's brutal.
1: I know. <laughs> some NFL news. Jalen Ramsey locked up by Rams. He got himself paid five years, 105 million, 21 million per year, um, sounds pretty nice right now. So he made history as the highest paid corner in the entire NFL. Jamoke, do you think the corner is the new glamorous position now? Do you think he's setting a precedent here with this new contract?
0: He is setting a precedent somewhat. I think in my mind, the, the biggest thing for me is um, these players are – not getting paid what the NHL, MLB, NBA players are getting paid in that they're getting guaranteed contracts. That's Mm -hmm. one. Secondarily, if you are the best at a skilled position, you should get paid, or at least your skill is at the highest level. Um, And I look at some of the NBA players, and until Patrick Mahomes, you know, really got this well five hundred million is a lot of money that he's kind of got let's all
1: let's all call of. it what it is it's half a billion
0: it's half a billion dollars it's not all guaranteed, but I do think that yeah, NFL players should be up there aaron does the, the the key is the Rams got a lot of money. they signed Aaron Donald for a six year one hundred and thirty five million mm. now they signed Jalen Ramsey. The only thing I find that's that I am curious about this contract is. Daryl Reeves spent most of his playing career with that one team, the Jets. And Jalen Ramsey has bounced around from team to for, from a few teams. Based on if it wasn't his personality being a problem, teams didn't necessarily think that he had the skills that were worth what they knew he was going to ask for. I imagine Sean McVay, the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, feels like, yeah. We do think he has the talent, but I could see other teams like, "Uh, that's a lot of money for a player who does more talking than walking. But Mm. let's see if he can live up to that contract, and it could be worth it. But the Rams got to win like two Super Bowls for it to be worth it.
1: You see, you like to see good things happen to good people and I saw something on Twitter that's going to hit home for you and me a sports photographer from I, I guess they both went to um, maybe they went to school together maybe she graduated they may be on Twitter but mm-hmm. she had posted that she was looking at buying a new camera like a five thousand dollar camera but she was going to get a used one
0: yeah he
1: DMs her and arranges to buy her a brand new camera just out of the goodness just and, so she shared that story on Twitter and I was like, everyone get the camera now. Everyone. Yeah.
0: Now, <laughs> That's so that. awesome.
1: But he'll be able to buy himself a nice, like one bedroom, one bathroom in the Hollywood Hills with that. <laughs> one bedroom, Get himself one bedroom. maybe 1500 square feet.
0: <laughs> I think he's going to be able to get he's a gonna little He's going to be looking large. That. I think that that is what <laughs> makes it a pretty awesome story that he would do stuff. So. I yeah. like seeing and hearing stories like that where athletes or people of means period just paying it forward doing something nice for someone else who doesn't have the kind of money that they have and or just need a break to make it you know I mean the fact that if she gets this camera and now you know five ten years down the road she's gonna have this great career is amazing uh you think about Deshaun Watson who you know um Basically, when he was a kid uh, and homeless, a football player helped him out. And now he sees a homeless person being kicked out because of COVID and being evicted in Houston. And what does he do? He helps this guy out. And I think that's, that is what is really beautiful about uh, what, what you see out of people who have money and can give back. It's the, it is the big things. It's very important. The big things are very important when you give to a charity, causes, things like that. But it's some of those little things that can go a long way to helping out so many people. And that's just a wonderful story. And I wish him the best. I hope he
1: gets some yeah, balls in. Give a man a fishing pole, change his life, right? Yeah. yeah Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sticking with the NFL, Skip Bayless ran his mouth about Dak Prescott. A lot of people are up in arms about this because a lot of people have a soft spot for Dak. Um, His brother unfortunately committed suicide earlier this year, and Dak was really struggling. He came out and said on a podcast that he was struggling with anxiety and depression for the first time in his life. Well, Skip Bayless um, said he has no pity for Dak. CEO of this team, of America's football team, he needs to put on a brave face and pull that himself. So, what do you think? I have a big problem with this because there needs to be a better conversation about mental health, particularly within sports because it's all about, right now, it's all about suppress it, suppress it. Teams say they want to help and have outreach, but they really don't. They don't want to deal with problems, right? So you have a leader, you have an icon, basically coming out and saying that he struggled. It's a start in the right direction, um, and then Bayless is saying, "No, cram that back inside. We don't want to. We don't want to hear about that. You struggle with that on your own."
0: Yeah, I, I struggle with what you're saying. That I think, you know, back in the day, I, well, I don't know back in the day, but I feel like now the TV personalities that are. Being asked to almost say outrageous things to get in the news. And that's it. Mm-hmm. They want exactly what we are doing right now. Not that Skip Bayless believes what he says, as much as he wants people talking about him and what he said and putting him in the conversation with Dak Prescott. That's what he wants to do. Um, I think it is sad. I think that mental health is one of the issues that we. Almost want to act as if it doesn't happen. You know, if it's not a physical injury, then it's not a real injury. And I do think that honesty, that empathy, um, that you should, well, the honesty really comes from the Dak Prescott part. I mean, I do accept the fact that this is Skip Bayless, if it is what he really believes, is honestly saying it. But you gotta have empathy for others. First. And I think to just outright say, oh, well, he's a CEO, you know, he's supposed to not let that stuff come out. I mean, to say you're dealing with it doesn't mean that you also aren't internalizing it, turning it into a positive, and being a great quarterback. Like to me, there's two sides to every coin. And if anything, Yeah. yeah, maybe in the beginning, yeah, he was struggling. But it's not to say that today, He can't be a quality quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks in the league as now maybe he's playing for something that's bigger than himself and turning that depression into a positive. And that's where I have an issue with what Skip Bayless said. And it's just – it's really sad because, you know, mental – to have any sort of mental issue – is something that should be taken seriously and, and not brushed aside or made fun of.
1: Yeah, very true. And, uh, it, yeah, it's all about clicks. It's all about who's trending on Twitter, but got to tread lightly when it's something that can be damaging for the overall conversation. Um, the Raptors exceeded expectations a little bit, forcing a game seven. Jamal, okay, did you ever see that happening?
0: I didn't see that happening. When the Celtics were up 2-0, I was like, ah, man, I, well, well, let me back up. I saw the Raptors in the NBA Finals, but when mm-hmm. they went down 2-0 to the Celtics, I said, maybe I was not really giving the Celtics enough cred as a real contender because I saw a Toronto Raptors team that had the, the longest winning streak coming into this restart They played well in this restart. They swept their first-round opponent in the Brooklyn Nets. And when the Celtics went up 2-0, I said, well, maybe. Let me think about it. Maybe what happened is the Toronto Raptors weren't tested in this bubble restart. And so they needed a wake-up call. And maybe that's what it was because not only did they go down 2-0 to tie it up 2-2 and then go back down 3-2 and force a game seven, And the last bit that made me say, you know what, I feel like Toronto's going to be good is at the end of the game when Norman Powell from the Raptors gets into a little mini scrum that seemed to be started by Marcus Smart. And the second I saw that, I texted my dad, my friends. I said, you know what? I said, that is the fuel that the Raptors need to win a game seven. And I think yeah. they will do it. Cause it's like Marcus Smart is public enemy number one. And I think he just got under their skin too much. And it's like, look, you had four shots at this. You did good in two. You got that third one. But the Raptors, they got the wake up the full wake up call. I think they're gonna win game seven.
1: Makes for a heck of a series. Now, yeah. Jamoke, this is the time of year or point in the season postseason playoff run where we would kind of speculate about the offseason and it kind of seems like we have a bit of a dud that we're that we're coming up on. Not a super exciting um, free agency period and compound that with COVID and team spending. I just want to know how exciting or lackadaisical do you think it's going to be?
0: I'm totally discombobulated out of sorts as everyone because you know, the NBA is in many ways trying to play it by ear. And we have been, we've all been used to a structure. We've been used, you know, everybody's been tweeting as we're recording this on Thursday about how, man, this is the greatest night in sports. We've got MLB and NHL and NBA and and tennis and football starting and college football and uh, NFL, obviously, for the first football. But it's just like, We don't know what's going on. The NBA can't decide when they want to start their next season. They push back the draft, uh, free agency period. They don't know what the salary cap is going to be. I think there is an excitement in the unknown, but I think the lack of uh, knowing what the schedule is going to be and how helter-skelter it is, it does make it a little less exciting. It just doesn't have the same fanfare. The buildup isn't the same. You know, there's potentially going to happen around the holidays. And, like, wait, what? We're talking about baske- yeah. a basketball draft around Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it's, it's just – it's going to get lost. I think it's going to get lost, unless you're a true basketball fan, as I am – or any other sport, NHL is going to have to figure out what they're going to do, MLB as well with the shortened season. You just kind of are going to just, oh, yeah, this is happening. Okay, let's watch it. Let's see what, you know, what's going to uh, uh, unravel from a draft or free agency, what players are going to go where. But it just doesn't have the same the same oomph to it.
1: All right. And last Doris Burke is making history as the first woman to serve as an analyst for a conference final and an NBA final for ESPN. She's going to be on the radio. Um, Doris Burke finally getting her due. maybe she's just an absolute legend Jamoke. Um, Do you think this should have come sooner?
0: I think it definitely should have come sooner. I, I feel similar to how we have talked about Black Lives Matter. Um, And, you know, uh, a coach or, you know, uh, just people of color being in leadership positions or high profile positions. It does seem like this is a long time coming for someone like Doris Burke to be making history. I'm actually surprised that it wasn't Cheryl Miller. Um, Mm -hmm. As long as she has been covering the NBA back in the day. You know, it it did seem like that might have been the type of position that she would have been in to make history. I love Doris Burke. Another reason why I want to see the Raptors win game seven is, so hopefully Drake right now is (laughs) self-quarantining himself so he can be in the bubble and join Doris Burke and be a part of history. I don't know if you know about their, you know, uh, fondness for each other. Uh, but, but I think that would be exciting. And yeah, Doris Burke is just, she's just cool. I I like the way she covers the game. Um, Yes. As you mentioned, she's a pioneer for other uh, women out there that want to go into uh, being an analyst. I know to switch a little bit. I know that Becky uh, Hammond is up for a possible head coaching position in the NBA. So there are a lot of changes that are coming and this is just another one of them. And I'm really excited for her.
1: Okay. Now this story kind of threw me. Um, we won't get too sciencey here, but Castor Semenya of South Africa, she's a sprinter mid-distance. Now she does the 800, I think. I don't know if she does any other any other events currently, but um, she it was ruled in her appeal case in a Swiss court that she cannot compete in the Tokyo Games unless she takes a medication because she has a condition called hyperandrogenism, which means her testosterone levels are higher than your average woman. Jamoke, I know we're not sitting pouring over these court documents and the court probably had a somewhat reasonable assessment here. But doesn't this seem like it could just open the door to a bunch of double standards all over the place i mean she's a woman natural born woman identifies as a woman but they're saying hey because you have you have a little extra oomph in your bloodstream yeah. you gotta you gotta alter yourself medically you're too good
0: yeah and i don't like that either she's a three-time world champion she's a two-time olympic gold medalist in the 800 meters I just think that this is, um, you know, the federal Supreme Court in Switzerland uh, made this ruling against Semenya. And in my mind, I just can't understand why, you know, she's tall, she's gay, um, she's not feminine looking as they want her to be. Like, I just Mm -hmm. don't understand that, you know, because what if it was, the opposite. If, if somebody is too skinny and like, yeah. oh, you're not, you're not, you don't look strong enough to be an athlete. Like what kind of gray area are we setting a precedent for that? We're going to say someone who's naturally the way that they are is simply too strong. And so we have to find a way to reduce her strength. I just, I just don't. Very weird. Yeah. I just don't understand it. And it makes me really sad, but I think the other part that makes me sad is I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who in the back of their mind is saying, Oh, she, she cheated. You know, somehow the South sure. African Olympic Federation was, you know, pumping her with testosterone to make her the way she is. It's just like, she's in the cradle
1: uh, getting shot up.
0: Right. I like, Oh, what is this? Uh, Russia? I mean, that's the only place, right? You know, uh, Putin's doping all of his athletes as soon as they're born. I mean, they have literally gotten in trouble for that. Athletes yeah. of other countries have gotten, Chinese athletes have gotten in trouble for that. It's just one of those things where I just don't get why we are here now, especially for someone, she's 29 years old. I don't really know what that, if that makes a difference in terms of olympic years in this day and age when we see the number of athletes that are competing until they are later later down the road in their late 30s and they're still yeah. competing at a high level but it just seems like for her she's already had a great career as it is why now
1: why now yeah yeah makes sense but it does i mean she's probably like prime this year she might be like here going to the other side of the parabola. You're right. I mean, we'll see. We have another year left. Hopefully the games happen and she's out there competing. Yeah. Um, now, all right. Yeah, I hope she can
0: appeal. That's my hope. That's my hope.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, this one creeped me out, Jamoke. I saw this on Twitter and again we had we had an extreme sport last week. We talked about the illusionism and flying up three miles into the sky on balloons. How about 115 foot wave surfing 115 foot wave? No, thank you. In the video, it looks like the day after tomorrow. You (laughs) see this guy, German surfer, Sebastian Stutner. First of all, how, how do you go from Germany to professional surfer? I'm very curious about that. Um, Did you get the heebie-jeebies? Was it just me?
0: No, I definitely got them. Haley, I don't even go in, I don't go to the beach. I go to my ankles, that's about it. And I'm a really good swimmer. Uh, I am a really good swimmer. I swam competitively, competitively when I was younger. But I remember one time, you know, with my brothers, I went probably in five feet deep in the ocean and I got flipped over and bumped my head. And I was like, nope, that's it for me. And that wave was probably a foot high when I dove underneath mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. There is no way I'm getting anywhere near on an, a an 115 foot wave. And it did remind me of day after tomorrow or an even scarier thing is like a tsunami. Like when there is an actual life-changing event, if there's an earthquake and you see a wave coming at you, what do you do And this guy's like- nothing. You surf. That's what you do, you surf.
1: There's nothing so unforgiving. That it can just pull you down with the weight of a million a million different earths, and you're just yeah. stuck under the, oh my gosh, Timoka, this is my fear. Anyway, so I saw this, and I thought, i I, I just can't be a serious surf fan. I, no. I can't be the person on the beach watching these surf competitions. Wait, oh, let's wait for a hundred footer to roll on in and watch this guy go, you know, yeah. get sucked under deep into the ocean. Oh,
0: and I was watching and You sent me the video. So I was watching it. And then I kept looking at the people, the little people that were at the yep. front of the frame. And I was like, how far away are they? Aren't they worried that like the wave is coming right towards them? And they're just kind of there watching. Like, This is amazing. Yeah. So I did do some research on this guy. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Okay. He's from Nuremberg, Germany. So mm-hmm. there's a Nuremberg, nuremberg ring if i'm saying that right which is one of the most famous race car tracks in the world in germany and he's from the the hometown so i'm like okay so he is a bit of a daredevil and he likes racing you know his adrenaline rush as we talked about before but but he has a project called we make waves and it's to help children that grow up in broken homes with learning disabilities. They have low self-esteem. He teaches them how to surf because he says te- teaching you how to surf is one of the values that teach you confidence and
1: self-respect. Wow. So he's really cool. Wow. Way That's to so
0: go! Cool. so yeah. Way to go. But no, not really. Way to go on a 115-foot wave. No, thank you.
1: He's braver than me, or he's just. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe there's something missing. If you have, if you have the, but there's got to be. Just something in evolution didn't quite get to you. The fear of the huge wave. Yeah, like no fear. Like That's Maybe cool do
0: pain, something. But yeah, it is a cool cherry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. The end of an era, Jamoke. Keeping up with the Kardashians is coming to an end after 20 seasons, 14 years, and a couple billion dollars probably many many different empires we got kylie jenner and, and many different romances with nba players we got to include that yeah, i mean yeah. who are the going to just kind of fall to the wayside i don't think they will i think they'll still be in the spotlight on instagram and everyone's news feed i think kris kardashian is a social business engineer and there's probably big projects coming up for them but jamoke are you surprised this show made it so long?
0: Well, I'm surprised this show made it so long. Uh, my sister-in-law is going to be devastated. Um, mm. It's one of her favorite shows. So I'm sure I will talk to her about her thoughts on it. Um, I think that I imagine if you talk about what's coming up for them, there's either going to be a Kardashian network and or yeah. their own Kardashian social media no open fans or any of that stuff. It's going to be Kardashian. That, that's the app <laughs> to sign up for. And you just get all of their fees. But I got a funny story for you. So I had the pleasure of really growing to build a strong relationship with Karan Butler, the former Washington Wizard. And he invited hmm. me and my wife to one of his birthday parties. And as we are walking uh, on the red carpet into this beautiful establishment, we notice that there are a lot of cameras flashing, and no. we were like, "Oh, these people—they really are taking pictures of us. This is really exciting." As we just keep walking, and the light bulbs are flashing, and we open the door, and you know, and turn to open the door for the person behind you. Yeah, it's Kim Kardashian, and we're like at a party with Kim Kardashian and she walked in right behind us and it was just like what what is what is happening right now? It was the single greatest and most bizarre moment of my life and my wife's who doesn't like the spotlight and it's so weird. It's so weird. And I was so bummed that I didn't stop most of these photographers and say hey can I get some of these pictures because I'm sure we're in this picture we have to be and nope never asked them and just went in and had a good time and actually we sat uh it was like a u-shaped club and we sat literally right across from kim kardashian and i think carmen electra was there and a couple of other people and we're just watching how they're mingling and everybody wants to get over where they are and we're wondering why the two of us are sitting at a table alone. I'm like, I d I don't get it. We're just as exciting as Kardashians,
1: but you just look a little more exclusive. Like you have you have smaller, <laughs> more elusive circles that she doesn't yeah. cross Some into. Of, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's so crazy. I'll, so I'll, you I'll have a Kardashian is.
0: story. Yeah. Keep it up with the Davises. It didn't quite take off the same. <laughs> <laughs> it, it
1: <just> <laughs> well, I'm sure they have something else coming down the pl- Pipeline, but they are the first Empire. I'm sure there will be many others that just they are characters who became famous for being famous and it really just defined Our social norms for all of all of the 21st century really yeah. so it truly well, is well, the end well, of an era The thing that's so
0: amazing is I watched the show not regularly but I've watched it before and I am amazed that no one has been able to duplicate it no other family you know has been able to one deal with having cameras in their entire lives for the last years but I, i i look at some of these other reality shows that try their hardest to duplicate it and you can't and now it's over and i i don't know who will be able to take their spotlight but also reading that you know, with COVID, like E had to cut a couple of shows and they can't afford mm, yeah. e the Kardashians. Like, man.
1: They're going younger. They're going with um, the TikTok dancing family, uh, Charlie Yeah,
0: no, I think no. they're getting it. Oh, this is this. this no, is too for, much. This is too much. You
1: know, the Kardashian family.
0: Boredom. There will Boredom never, never be another Camelot. Show. There will never Boredom. That's the next God. show. No with that. Justin and Haley. You're Moore. the
1: only one watching that. You and my mom. so I know this is a subject you'll be excited about you're an award winner yourself you have uh, many Emmys but the Academy um, is finally taking steps to become more inclusive after years and years of ridicule and criticism for being too white we can all agree way too white. Um, So in order to be eligible to win best picture, a film must meet two of four pretty strict standards. Jimoka, do you think this is a move in the right direction? Do you think it's too little too late? Do you think it's uh, transparent enough for the audience to know that, okay, this is like a pretty decent, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reasonable measure that's being taken to ensure inclusivity?
0: I... I would err on the side of, let's not criticize what the Academy is doing, because when we talk about, as I mentioned earlier, you can talk the talk, but will you walk the walk? And if Mm -hmm. nothing else, they are trying, they are walking. They are saying, what can we do? What should we do? It may not be the best option. You may not be able to make everyone happy, but you have to set some kind of a standard, some kind of baseline for a beginning of not just having dialogue, but saying, no, we're taking real action. So these inclusion standards, as they call them, um, at least one of the lead actors or a significant supporting actor must be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Um, Mm. You know, uh, 30% of all of the actors in minor roles come from two of the of categories of women uh, women, lgbtq underrepresented racial or ethnic group i love it i love yeah. it because whether you are someone who believes in black lives matter or not um, because i also think that there are minorities that don't necessarily believe in that that don't necessarily want affirmative action but at some point you have to try to say, okay, what can we do to make a difference? Not just donate money and then walk away, right? You have to Mm -hmm. actually do something. And this is something that the Academy is doing for the Oscars to say, okay, okay. If we know that these uh, production companies, movie uh, companies, aren't necessarily going to act fast enough, well, you got to act fast now. Yeah. Right, these rules say you have to act fast now, or else you won't be getting an Academy Award. And mm-hmm. I, I applaud them for trying something, it may not work. You know, you may get the Clayton Kershaw of, 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 of a production company or an actor saying that they don't like the rule. And Let's hope it's a one time thing. As you saw, Clayton Kershaw doesn't like the, the 10th inning man on second base, yeah. and he wants to do away with it. But you tried it, and I hope this doesn't go away. If they need to make any kind of tweaks, that's fine. Mm. But I, I really, really like it. And I applaud the Academy for trying to make a difference and do something about an issue that has been going on for not only a long time, but even, you know, I'll watch some old movies. I'll watch Turner Classic movies or old sitcom. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching, and I was like, there are no minorities. Mm. Not one in some of these shows. And to think we're in 2020, and we're just now trying to say, we got to have more minorities. That's not good. And not just Black. We're talking about minorities, period. People who are underrepresented, LGBTQ community as well. So I applaud it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it does seem like it's going to have um, some transactional impact. You're challenging the writers to meet these standards and that's going to change how a lot of writers write their characters and write their plots so it seems to be a step in the right direction
0: it's a step in the right direction and when you talk about change comes from the top down well winning the academy award is at the top and so this will trickle down because everyone's going to have to think about that i mean i remember the controversy when it was like wait can idris elba be james bond james bond has been white as long as he's been james bond And it was like a backlash, like, no, 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 we can't have this. But, you know, when you think of writing a role, maybe this will uh, allow for not just people to not, I'm not trying to say this will allow for people to say, I'm necessarily, oh, we have to write for a minority, but almost making it comfortable if in the beginning Mm -hmm. you say, yeah, I want to do something different. Well, that was definitely okay.
1: Mm,
0: yeah it's definitely okay if you want to make Idris Elba James Bond go right ahead because the, the academy is saying mm. this is the kind of change we want to see in our movies I love it good leadership yeah and let's hope we see it behind the scenes not just on camera as well that's the other part that I like of, of what they're trying to do
1: yeah yeah absolutely cruise count
0: yeah what a show Haley wow that was packed um a lot of stuff yeah a lot of stuff uh, gosh my heart rate if i was wearing a heart rate monitor i'm sure it went up on, on a couple of you get a workout one. yeah <laughs> thank you Haley. i enjoyed it thanks
1: true okay
0: see you next week coming up next on just for sport is the emmy award-winning executive producer carrington J. simons we talk esports gambling on sports and how giving up on his dream of playing professional basketball paved the way for him to flourish off the court. But first, it's time to have a serious conversation about your bookies and illegal offshore betting sites. You can get rid of them now. Cut ties. Legal sports books have a better user experience, more promos, bigger signing bonuses, and you know your money is safe. Where do you find a legal sports book in your state? At thepropsnetwork.com. The Props Network only rates regulated U.S. sports books, and it's also where you'll find the best available bonuses, so start using them. Plus, you'll get great content from the real media pros, just like me on Just for Sport. So when legal betting comes to your state, make sure your first stop is thepropsnetwork.com. Remember, it's 21 and over to bet. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER today. Now back to Just for Sport. All right, joining me now is Carrington Simons of Monumental Sports Entertainment. as a senior manager of content and programming uh, at Monumental Sports Network. Carrington, thank you for jumping on. How you doing?
2: I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: It's been, it's been a while. Glad we could catch up and, and uh, talk about sports and how it relates to OTT programming. And I know that you were key in launching esports uh which is kind of uh not a new landscape but seeing the NBA 2K uh Wizards Wizards District Gaming is just something that I didn't really expect for not only it to be here now uh the way it is but I'm also like interested in how it took so long to get here when I feel like Madden's been what's probably on his like 25th year of yeah. people playing Madden football and competing, uh, but before we go to that, let's start with your background. You went to Hampton, graduated from University of Hartford. As we've had conversations before, uh, just talk about the HBCU experience and and then your decision to go to Hartford and graduate. And and I'm saying that based on the fact that I started at Coppin and graduated from University of Pittsburgh. I know
2: about the transfer game. <laughs> you know, you know about the transfer game, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, 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 an HBCU is is I think one of the most amazing college slash universities to go to. You get so much culture, so much uh, unity just with everybody there. And you know, I, I actually think there's a misconception with HBCUs because I think a lot of people actually look at HBCUs and say historical black colleges is all black people. But it's like no, actually, if you go down to a lot of these HBCUs, they are very mixed. Like it is a very well mixed group of people attending a college, and I think that's a, a stigma that HBCUs get a lot. And it's like no, no, no. It's it's a college. It's a university. It's this is typical college here. Um, but man, I tell you, th- those those days at, at Hampton were, were some of my favorite. Um, unfortunately. I had hoop dreams and ambitions, um, so so I felt <laughs> I felt compelled when my freshman year I didn't get the playing time I felt I deserved. Um, love the coaching staff at Hampton. to shout out to them. Um, but I just felt like I deserved a five foot eight to be on the court at least forty five minutes out of that whole entire <laughs> game. But the game ain't even that long. I want to be on the court more than the game should be. So I, I felt compelled as a freshman, like this senior should not be playing more than me or this junior. So, you know, me chasing my hoop dreams is actually what took me to University of Hartford. And I'll tell you what, man, being someone who's originally from Chicago, but I moved when I was young, maybe about eight or nine, living in D.C. for over 20 plus years at that time, 10 plus, uh, you know, almost a decade plus years in D.C. Going to Hartford, Connecticut. Boy, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm telling you that cold, that New England cold. Ooh, that that was a whole different beast right there. That was that was something. I, I mean, having class and 11 inches of snow, and, and they're like, "Yo, we we still good for class." I'm calling it like, nah, teach. I ain't gonna make it today. The way the way my body functions <laughs> in my city. I can't feel my hands when I answer my phone and uh, my, it's eating through my North face. I think at that time they were Eddie Bowers. Like, nah, it was, it was a lot, but um, I think overall, man, it was, it was a unique experience. So Hartford's a, you know, a mainly kind of Jewish school. Um, but to see um, the unit you see at the HBCU and then transfer to, you know, what we call a PWI um, was an amazing experience. And I think that I learned a lot, especially from my Jewish brothers and sisters uh, going to Hartford. Um, it was an amazing experience to see the community that they have and, and how they bond and how they unite as a people. And I thought it was really inspiring as I look at our race and our culture, uh, things we can possibly do in the future. So I think, you know, both sides of the fence, I think that you learn a lot from everybody. Uh, you just have to accept who they are and, and, and take what you can get and, and apply it to your life. So I, I enjoy both, uh, both experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you call it a stigma because I do think it's quite interesting where people think of HBCUs like it's only African Americans there, you know, black people there. And one it's like, well let's first think about why HBCUs were started because those are the only schools we could go to ding 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> so can get in at that time, bro <laughs> Right, right. But now I feel like you know it is different and we'll get into a little bit more you know, the evolution of the school in general and what it can mean for our future. Uh, Let's talk about how you went from school um, to trying to find a career for yourself and looking at your bio, the one thing that comes to mind for me is you're looking at your father, Curtis Simons, who's worked for ESPN, BET, worked his way all the way up to a uh, CEO at BET, and then working with the uh, Mystics at uh, watch Sports Entertainment uh, back in the day, like your father was accomplished. And for you, what was it like living in his shadows, uh, trying to make a path for yourself and what you wanted to do in your career?
2: Yeah, um, you know, it was interesting. I think I had one of those situations that um you know I think that a lot of professional athletes kids have and I say it to say is where you have a person that is ahead of you who's who's accomplished some some pretty solid accolades. Um, and so you know when they look at you know the next up and coming from their kids it's like um you know are you know w- what are you gonna be able to do? What are you gonna be able to provide and stuff like that. So it it was interesting, man. I tell you what, my dad, you know, he's always been a great mentor for me. He's never given me any pressure. And so when I first came out of college, um, I had a bunch of job offers. I had an opportunity to work for the NFL. Um, you know, uh, Carl Francis over there, who uh, was part of the NFL PA. That's my guy. Um, I had a few other, you know, opportunities from Nike. Um, you know, those jobs that you wanted to go to. And my dad was interesting enough <laughs> that he wanted to start a gym facility. So so this man decided, at that time he was running the Mystics, and uh, he decided to build a seven indoor court, full-fledged gym facility. And I said, okay, called Hoop Magic. <laughs> um, and so I was like, you know, at that time I was like, you know, Dad, like, what are you doing? Like, I love basketball too, but seven courts, you know, like, <laughs> you know, we play basketball, but do we really play basketball? Like, I mean, we're basketball people, but, you know, I like, guess the business side. Uh, and he felt compassionate enough to to really want to chase that dream and uh, for those who know man I I my dad is like my twin so anything that he does I'm I'm always 100% behind him so I actually went over there and started helping him with Hoop Magic that we launched um as soon as I got gradu- I graduated college uh I ran that as a marketing director for a while and then some sooner later on I became the uh, COO for them uh and was one of actually the youngest CEOs in Northern Virginia at that time um and it was amazing, man. It was a great experience. I think the grind of learning how to run your own business um, and to build something from nothing is uh, amazing. Um, and it, it, it's something you can't even, you know, you, you don't understand until you go through it kind of thing. So it was a, it was a well-learned lesson. Um, you know, actually, to to mess up my story, to step back before that in college, I actually stopped playing basketball my last year. Um, I realized I'm five foot eight. And that was a hard realization for me, Uh, you know, and I told my coach, you know, at that time, you know, I was playing in the American East, man. J.J. Barrera had just came through and destroyed, I think, everybody in the American East. And I watched this guy and I'm like, and, you know, J.J. is probably about 5'10". He's probably on paper. They say six, but be about Mm -hmm. 5'10". And I watched this guy literally destroy the American East, like killed us, beat us by like 20 by himself. Uh, he he beat us so bad the next day or the next week he was on Slam Magazine. It it was ridiculous. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, okay, are you better than him? And I was like, nah. <laughs> it's just not. I'm not better than him. <laughs> so, like, you know, I haven't even heard of this guy. And he, if he's not a pro, which he obviously ended up being a pro, um, I was like, you know, um... Yeah, I don't have a chance. So my last year, I ended up uh, opting out of my last year. My coach, Larry Harrison, um, amazing coach, um, allowed me to keep my scholarship. And I didn't have to play my last year. And so my last year, I was actually a scout for the Mystics. Um, and that was actually under Tree Rollins. And for those who know, he, I think I'm dating myself, but Tree's a legend. Tree. Um, yeah. Big old Tree, man. That was my guy. So that's who I reported to and, and Sheila Johnson uh, at the time. And uh, yeah, that was an amazing, like, that was so dope. Like I love that kind of what made me really love the essence of sports in terms of that back. I mean, that front end office kind of thing, like, right. Um, and then from there, like I said, I did the hoop magic thing. I bounced over and worked with the urban league on the nonprofit side. And then, uh, a few years later, man, I get a call from my guy over at monumental Darren Montgomery. Uh, love that guy. That's my guy, Monty. Um, Monty calls me up for the weirdest interview I've probably ever had in my life. Uh, he says, come in. I think I got a position for you. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. Come in and have a hour and 30 minute interview about running the youth and the fan development side for the Wizards. That would sooner uh, later turn into the Junior Wizards uh, department. And it was probably the craziest time. I went in there, hadn't applied for a job. I know Monty because he's a family friend. Uh, Monty calls me in, have an hour-long interview. I meet literally the whole entire department. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh the whole entire department in this meeting calls me after the meeting says yo i need you to apply for this job if you we'll talk about salary and if you like it let's get you on board swear that was the story i i never i never applied for this job like i applied later after the interview but i didn't apply before that like i swear that's the story like funniest story ever and then you know from there man um you know, the biggest thing I always tell people is you got to prove yourself, man. So I was able to create and show I was a value um, in that space. And they knew my ties with some of the uh, community in the DMV because I've just been here for some years. Um, and me and Zach uh, Leonsis, um, Ted Leonsis Ted son for the, you know, Washington Wizards, Mystics, and Monumental. Um, you know, we we had connected a couple of times and we had talked and, uh, you know, we found some things that I think worked and benefited for the LTT platform that they really liked that I could offer. And, uh you know he brought me over and from there um man i've i've programmed over 500 live games between professional and youth uh high school sports um we've uh done numerous documentaries we've won emmys we've won tellies um it's been a great opportunity man it's been an amazing journey so far i'm excited for the rest though.
0: yeah it's uh it's amazing to hear you talk about your transition especially because you know I was watching a video earlier today from the new uh coach K at Duke Coach Kara Lawson talking about mm-hmm. a lot of people work hard, but it's whether you want to compete. That's the part that can't someone can't make you do. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that competing in business is a lot harder than mm-hmm. competing, you know, in a sport where I feel like you see your teammate, which in many ways is your first competitor before the opposing team, if y'all play the same position.
2: Right. You got to make the team. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You so, got <laughs> so, you know, to think that, you know, you were you were you're still competing in, in a different sports game is pretty cool uh, to be the first ever OTT platform that especially is first regional platform partner with NBC Sports Washington. How did that evolve for you in terms of trying to figure out what works, because I imagine the beginning it's a lot of tinkering, right? You're trying to learn what works for bringing in subscribers, what they want to see, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, man. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's interesting. I think that the space is still kind of the wild wild west a little bit in terms of the LTT space. Um, so. When I say that, I mean, most people are very familiar with Netflix, right? Most people are familiar with the ESPN pluses of the world. Um, You got to remember when Netflix first came out, they used to have old movies, you know, and everybody would go to Netflix and kind of, you'd be like, why am I going to Netflix? Why am I paying this $5.99? I ain't seen this movie. Um, And, you know, for for some time, Netflix was floating in the red because they they didn't know. They were just buying rights for old catalog movies, shows, going up here, just trying to get the traffic to come in. because that subscriber base is still kind of a nuance, right? You know, there's those cord cutters, and we talk about that all the time with the new Gen Zs and, and all that type of stuff. Um, and I think what everybody's understanding is that the cable bundle is just too much, right? You you go on cable, and you have 900 channels, and you watch 30. But you pay for 900. And so I think that um, a lot of sports teams, and the and, and Leonces were actually, I think, you know um, – I don't necessarily want to say pioneers, but they were very uh, meticulous in their approach to this, right? I think they saw a space that they see in the future um, can have some really big opportunities from them as a sports organization. Uh, And so it started off as, well, we were Monumental Sports, and then we ended up as Monumental Sports Network. Um, And the OTT kind of part of that came when, obviously, NBC Sports Washington bought in, and we decided that okay, on the linear side, we're losing a bunch of subscribers, obviously, core cutting. But we don't even know who these people are. You know, we can't retarget with the messaging or anything like that. And we're not capturing anything. You know, there's no information being captured. Um, So for most people who don't know, when you look at these big organizations like the ESPNs and the TNTs of the world, when they go into these cable bundles, like a Direct TV, they're just getting paid a percentage off every household. Now the percentage can float and be... You know, a, a pen. Let's say three cents for every every household. But when you take three cents and times it by twenty million, it's not a bad day. Yeah. You know, being part of these packages, and that's that's the benefit of doing linear. The challenge what they're now having is um, is that linear or satellite is now going on the decline because people are now wiser and saying I don't need to pay two hundred dollars for cable when I only really need to pay fifty dollars and get all my favorite networks. Um, and I can go over here and get that. And so that has now become a very new landscape in terms of actually capturing those datas from these people. So now when I sign up, I'm putting my first name, last name, credit card information, email address, address. That right there is such a high value for marketers. That right there is such a high value for companies because obviously they have a profile of you. Um, we now know how to market to Jamoke. We know... What he likes to eat, what kind of content he likes to eat. You know, when he watches, he likes these games around this time. He watches this movie every now. And you when you think about like Netflix and all those, that's why when you go to your profile, um, it's tailored towards you. Yeah. Uh, and you can kind of tell who a person is sometimes. I tell I tell people the funniest thing is go to somebody's YouTube channel on their phone. Oh
0: my god. And it'll gosh, tell you who not, they
2: are. Yeah, 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 it'll expose <laughs> you. <laughs> you. It'll expose <laughs> you. Like, so you watch? Yeah. Miss yeah. <laughs> you, you. I'm telling yeah. you because you, what you what most people don't realize is your profile has been created. You, this is who you are, um, yeah. and it's so interesting when you think about it in that sense. And so, you know, on the OTT side, we saw an opportunity, the, and then uh, we launched. Man, and to your point, man, we had to try a bunch of different things. I think when we first started off, it was like, all right, guys, here's a bunch of money. Just shoot for the stars, see what happens. Um, and as we started going, the, the network's been up for about six years now um you know we started realizing when some things started sticking right and we, we kind of think that we got something going there um we do a bunch of live games we float with the you know the go-go uh mystics we do wizards and caps on demand and then we have live programming and a slate of high school programming so we found that you know there's a there's a um there's a want for that content and people are willing to pay for it uh, i think the key thing that we're still testing, and I don't think anybody's perfected, is like what's that price? Uh, what's that amount of content? What's the the amount of times you need to have content refresh? You know, if this person binges and they're gonna want something next week. There's a bunch of moving pieces and it's, an, it's a what well, and that's why I refer to it as a wild, wild west, right? Because people still don't know. There's no perfect yeah. formula. So uh but it's it's a it's a great, it's a great opportunity. And obviously I think it's a it's a great opportunity for young people because it's still very new. It's a nuance. Uh, And who better knows it than the people who are cutting cords?
0: Yeah. And uh, who better knows than me that you just won an Emmy for (laughs) seeing this, believing the Karam Butler story that we worked on together but haven't talked about really since, like diving into it? How special was it for you to win the award but to know what? I'm not gonna say it wasn't your first time doing it, but I felt like as far as us working together on projects, you were probably more involved in this one than you had ever been in any of the processes from the production side. Not so much to setting it up and getting the deal signed, things like yeah. that, but really being involved in a production. What was that like for you? And how many people did you call? Were you like, we wanted them, y'all? <laughs>
2: Look, first of all, soon I won, you know I had IG. I you lucky I was on IG story film and I didn't know we was gonna i be I he was gonna win, but you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure. Um <laughs> man, it was it was um it was everything, man. I I can't even I can't even tell you the amount of emotions that went into to that. Um the project, winning it, working with the team um everything I, I tell you what uh the back end story on that which was really my passion is um <clears throat> my first project with Monumental I did on the high school side uh we got nominated for an Emmy and uh actually our team had sent it in I didn't actually even know we had sent it in my brother Yannick had sent it in uh I think y'all had talked about it and y'all had sent the project in. And I had no idea about it and he was like yo you know we nominated for an Emmy I was like Oh, <laughs> and i'll you know that whole experience just to even be nominated to go to the dinner unfortunately that year we didn't win um but it left such a hunger it left such a hunger and 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 i knew that i i you know my brother shalape he'll he'll tell you um i told him next time i come to this event i'm walking away with the medal. like i'm walking away with some hardware. that's that's The next time there's no other time. It's not going to be the next, next time. It's going to be the next time. And um, man, that was my, that was really my push. I just knew, I knew we had what it took to, to really win one. And when Karan retired, man, it started off really funny because um, you know, for most people who don't know the back end story, Karan retired around the LA all-star game Uh, and me just knowing Karan for many years, he's a mentor for me, a good friend of mine, um, actually of us. Um, I just called him was like, yo, can we do a retirement piece? And and that was going to be it, right? Like we were gonna, that was going to be it. I mean, we followed him around a little bit during All-Star. But I mean, at that time, we were following Brad and John, because he was both down there for All-Star. It was the first time, I think, for Brad. Um, We had a lot of stuff kind of going on. Um, And I remember the day we were going to film Quran. I actually wasn't even there. Uh, I I had to fly back from L.A. to D.C. So I wasn't even actually there for the interview. And my brother Yannick, um, they have, you know, producing his butt off on that piece. They went and our whole crew, Ariel, Tanya, Um, they went, man. Well, yeah, I forgot Elwell was there. Uh, Man, they went. and, And when my brother Yannick got back, man, he looked me in the eye and was like, I think we got something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, you think we got something? He was like, yeah, I think I think we got something with this one. <laughs> and man, the rest was history, man. It was it was such an amazing journey and an amazing opportunity for those who don't know, um yes, we shot it in monumental and under monumental, but this was actually the first time in monumental history where in all, well, not in all black, but a majority black production group put this project together. Mm-hmm. Um, and shoot, you know, I'm happy to tell my story. There were some layers to that. You know what I mean? There were some layers to that that opened up my eyes about different things with the organization, not good or bad, but just different things on how they approach um, different situations. And um, no matter what I knew, and I knew, I knew what I wanted in the project. Um, I knew who I wanted with the project. And, you know, I think when you have something that you know you really believe in you have to fight for and so that's just what we did, man. We fought and we put that thing together and I mean, you talk about we had Mark Wahlberg in there, we had D Wade in there, we had Kevin Dunn in there. Uh-huh had Riley. Riley Eddie Eddie Jordan we had uh Ernie Grunfeld I know for y'all don't like Ernie but we had Ernie up in there uh man we had uh G- Gary Payton was up in there he had a cameo um and we did it on a shoestring budget you know we did it on a shoestring budget and it was just it. an amazing you know it was an amazing experience and a testament to the whole team of what you know really what what you can do and what you can put together when you believe in a project and believe in a story and um, man, to win that Emmy was everything, everything, man. Shout out to Bleach Report. we love to shout out, too. Yeah. <laughs> <You know.
0: laughs> Let's hope there's many more to come. And yeah. I would say it wasn't 30 days after that when, you know, you were there at the beginning of Wizards District Gaming, and then here they are, what, not even two weeks ago, won the NBA 2K Championship. Uh, You were there at the beginning, help bring in Reese to God, who is like the MVP for it all. You were up for an Emmy for that, too, Um, and and won a telly for the piece on uh, Reese to God. Just how exciting is that? And did you expect NBA 2K and eSports to, am I wrong in saying it took a long time for basketball to get to that level? Because I feel like I used to watch the Madden reality show where everybody was playing for that championship. You know, like we talked at the beginning, twenty twenty years ago, when we started that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I think the I think the thing with um, I mean, to first off to for those guys, shout out to Reese, Dave Fry, awkward, uh, Nudini, uh, Jbhm, B Rich, um, my man Grant, who started from the beginning, Pat, Andrew, Jordan, those guys, man, amazing team, um, and they earned it, man. Those guys went from a rough season the year before not making playoffs, not winning any tournament money to, man, winning some tournaments, bringing home the chip. And I'm just so proud of my guys, really Reese and and Dave Fry. Um, Those brothers really just fought so hard and knew what they wanted to believe in, man. So it was an amazing experience to see those guys. And I'm so happy for them and what they were able to accomplish. Uh, To answer your question about the esports thing with basketball, I think that what most people don't understand kind of what esports is like, so esports is not necessarily a nuance it's a nuance to the greater good like the greater mass but um you know esports really started with those like games like call of duty where they're kind of like first-hand gun games or like doom and those kind of games or like the racing games and things like that and and they really built their community off really competing on a global scale and i think sports when you think about like 2k took a little bit time to come over A little bit more than Madden, right? Because when you think about football, there's only really one football game. You know what I mean? Like, there's not really one other, you know, rival to Madden. Like, Madden came out, football's over. Um, And so they had the whole market. Um, But the NBA was different because you had NBA Live and you had NBA And you were kind of fighting over this position of who's really the best game. And then it's like... You know, do we really play at that point? And at those times, they hadn't really quite opened it up to that global platform—the My Player, the My Careers, where you're now playing with people all across the world. Um, so it did take them a little bit to transition from there. But um, man, I think the upside with with 2K and the esports side, man, is it's it's tremendous, man. I mean, you look at um, you know this this time last year, the esports is on just Twitch. Um, this this year, obviously due to COVID, it's on ESPN and, and doing solid numbers. Uh and doing solid numbers. And I think the growth of esports sports is gonna be amazing. Uh you look at like people like Bronny getting into it with FaZe Clan offset, you know, with FaZe Clan Ninja being one of the biggest um <clears throat> athletes because it's truly a sport. Uh athletes in the game now that rivals LeBron James and this guy plays Fortnite. Um, <laughs> you know. It's it's an amazing amazing platform and uh man I I think that the upside is going to be amazing I think two K is is getting getting there I think the challenge with two K was always that unlike some of the other games there were never um, likenesses right and so like there was never a John Wall who you played as John Wall right mm-hmm. so you had to play with those kind of likenesses and stuff like that like when you think about Fortnite it's like you have these different players right and you're just whoever and you're going out and killing You think about Madden, you actually play with the Madden teams. There's no like Carrington Simons is the, you know, the running back and he can do whatever. Uh, You're actually playing with the likenesses of these guys. And so um, I think that's still kind of the bridge that people are still trying to understand, um, because I think it would be a faster growth if you were like, we're Wizards district gaming and we play with the Washington Wizards.
0: Yeah.
2: Got you. You're the nicest dude with John Wall on 2K. i'm here with you i'm here with you right but when you're like nah i'm the nicest reese to god and you're like yeah but who who who's reese to god though (laughs) so i think like that's the learning curve but i think that like the growth of it i think that it has some upside um and and look the nba it did take some time for them to understand it nba traditionally as, as me and you both know NBA is normally one of those groups that does like to see how it performs first and then kind of react to it. They're normally not first to market with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the NBA and Adam Silver, um, who's an amazing commissioner, I think he, he looks at the game from a global position. Um, and how can we reach and be a part of the global basketball game on all fronts? You know, you think about the stuff he's doing with NBA Africa. Um, you know, obviously he plays overseas games every year to glow the global game. And I think he saw an opportunity with the esports community and, uh, he took advantage of it and I think it's gonna I think it's gonna pay off. I mean, this past year they had a team um traditionally rooted from China. Um and unfortunately I'm running blank on who that is. It's the the Gen team, Gen something. Gen G. Gen G. Mm-hmm. Uh Gen G team, and they came from China, so they're not a traditional basketball club who bought a team. Um so it shows I think that's starting to show some of the growth of what the potential of the esports space can be for uh you know, those leagues like NBA and, and, and NFL. And, and I think NHL is talking about doing something too. And I would, you know, MLB would be crazy not to follow suit because the show is one of the best video games known to man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, the eSports space, I think is, is going to have some crazy upside and it's going to be amazing to see, uh, you know, what it ends up being. Keep in mind, these yeah. kids make a lot of money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> What, what um, do you ever see esports overtaking real sports? I mean, they're already making a lot of money. I I don't see them at a point, you know, not the thing where they're going to make the same kind of contract money that LeBron James makes per se, but that maybe the people watching it or playing it, you know, because to your point, you know, I, I guess there is a level of your ability as a person but at mm-hmm. least your height, you know, you talk about being 5'8". you Be like, hey, my career is over. There is no height or anything with playing eSports. You can be whatever height you want to be, size, speed, agility, yep. all of those things. Uh, where do you see the future of eSports as, if not a replacement, at least something that's even more and more parallel with real sports and athletes?
2: Well, I, I think the reality is esports is here to stay. I don't think it's a a, a trending thing or, or just a fab or anything like that. I think esports is here to stay. Um I think what you're gonna start seeing soon is colleges picking it up, high schools picking it up and actually creating leagues around esports. Um and I think that it's gonna rival traditional sports full front. Um the first event I ever went to was this event called ESL One, uh and it's held out in the uh, um at the Brooklyn Nets facility. Um, And the first time I went there, this thing was packed. I'm talking about lying around the corner, kids lined up, got their laptop with them, getting ready to come in. (laughs) Organizations like Nike and, and top organizations buying sweets in this spot. Like, I mean, fully, and you're talking about 12 to 13 hours of gameplay, and these kids are in here for all those hours. Mm-hmm. concessions for 12 to 13 hours that's crazy that's a that's a crazy thought for owners you know yeah. i think that esports is going to be here to stay i think it's um esports as as an overall arching branch is going to be here to stay what will change what esports will be the titles i think the titles will actually be the ones that change so you know it could be Call of duty today or Fortnite tomorrow or you know dota dota or something like that but in terms of what esports is able to bring to the table i think it's here to stay and, and the the craziest part is you know I think the next step to esports is gonna be to your point, uh, what happens when your favorite athletes start playing? Aerial powers. Uh, you know, you know, they we did a bunch of stuff with like the Paul George plays, you know. What starts happening when that transition of your favorite sports athlete becomes also your favorite esports player with your favorite esports team? Ben Simmons just signed the phase clan. Um, you know, that's when it becomes like. Yo, I came to go watch this esports show, and Ben Simmons was on the team playing. Like you, like, oh, okay, this show kind of like You know, I think it, it. I think it becomes crazy, man. And and, um, look, man, it's one of those spaces where advertisers are excited about it. Um, owners are excited about it. When you got guys like you know Cuban and Ted throwing millions of dollars into it, you know, there that that means there's something. Yeah. That means there's something. These guys aren't going to throw that money without y'all seen Shark Tank. Mark ain't just throwing his money to throw his money. Mark am going to be like, yeah, so there's that. Okay. So the return. Okay. Yeah. We got something then. Um, and, and these guys are going full fledged in it, man. I tell uh, most people that this is where they need to be. You look at traditional sports and I, I, I use this example real quick. If you want to get into the sports business, traditional sports is hard because you have to grind and you have to fight because you're dealing with people who have worked there for over 20 plus years who probably just now got to the position they want and the only way they're going to leave that position is when they can no longer actually function as a human being, right? You know what I mean? So they're going to stay there for a long time, and there's the growth becomes where you stand, you become stalled out when you get to a certain level. Esports is completely different. These older guys want to put a bunch of money into it, but they have no idea how it works. Mm -hmm. They have no idea how to communicate to the audience. They have no idea who the audience even is. They want to. And so they're going after younger guys who know the business and understand the eSports landscape, and those guys are getting jobs. My good friend Grant Perjappi, 25 year old he's a VP of the Washington Justice Overwatch League team. Mm-hmm. Amazing mind, but he, you know there's so much more opportunity in that space. there's no way he would have been a VP of the Washington Wizards at 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean that just, that's just not happening. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean. So there's there's a lot of opportunity, and I think that uh, you know, for people who, who really want to get into sports, esports is a great opportunity to look at.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's uh, I'm going to shift the rundown a little bit because as we compare traditional sports to esports, betting is really becoming you know more and more prevalent. Uh, there is a Detroit Lions signed on with mm-hmm. BetMGM. William Hill has a sports book at the Capital One Arena. Uh, Where do you see how will betting kind of become more mainstream? You know, Mm -hmm. because it really is, uh, you know, it was like Vegas in New Jersey. and That was it. And that's the only place you could go to bet. You kind of did it, but it still almost had a taboo with it. If you were known to be someone that bets. But now it is more accepted. Everyone, well, not everyone, but a number of people are doing it. And it's an industry that traditional sports and esports can really tap into to generate even more revenue and and add more excitement to the games.
2: Yeah, man. So, look, the funny back end story on betting is uh, the year the Caps um, are in the finals run. Uh, matter of fact, let me throw on. So, y'all know traditionally Jamoke throwing his stunner glass, stunner shades. So, I'm going to throw on my stunner shades for this part of it. I'm going to throw on my stunner shade. Actually, I brought some props too. So, let me throw my, let me throw, because we're talking about Ben. So, um, you know, uh-huh. traditionally, <laughs> let me throw, you know what I mean? Let me throw on my,
0: my ring, you know,
2: We was out in Vegas, you know, traditionally.
0: Traditionally.
2: (laughs) You know, um, no, funny story. (laughs) Let me take this off. (laughs) Um, Man, so during the Caps run, we, uh, at that time, me and my director and uh, Zach were out in Vegas for probably about, I want to say about two and a half weeks, man. Zach had told us, um, I want you guys to pretty much go around to all the sports books. Learn sports betting and gambling. Uh what's that, 2018, I think? Because what they did when last eighteen. He's like, you know, just learn, learn all all the things you can learn, everything. Um, we even met the guys who are Vegas. So when ESPN says we, you know, these are the numbers that Vegas reports, we met the four guys who make up Vegas. Uh -hmm. it was it was just a crazy experience. And that right there told me, like, boy, this is about to be crazy. Um for those who don't know, sports betting and gambling is a 150 billion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. That's not the slots. That's not anything else on the tables. That is sports book and sports betting and gambling alone. Mm-hmm. So you look at a 150 billion dollar industry that the Supreme Court then just says it is okay to bet, but mm-hmm. states have to regulate and get their stuff in order. But we're okay with it. It for a millionaire is like a, it's like a candy factory. They like <laughs> wait, what? So we can bet? We can we can bet? We can bet? These guys got so excited. Like you think about it, and and for what most people don't maybe understand too is to backtrack a little bit more. The United States is actually one of the only countries, our continents. I'm sorry, um, country, I'm, countries uh, that do, don't do sports betting. Like, right, that, like was, that first was another started. question like, I have, yeah. Yeah, like, that's something that's actually very traditional in Europe. Like, if you go to Europe, you can bet on almost anything. You can bet on when somebody's having a baby, when somebody might die. Um, you can bet on, like, if they're going to wake up and come out at 10 o'clock today. Like, is Prince? Is the prince going to come out and be at the house? <laughs> at the, like, you can legitly bet on probably almost anything under the sun, and it's legal. I it's mean, they wear,
0: they wear, you know, the the, the logos on their Jersey. They have the oh, a the sponsor is, yeah. is a sponsor of the EPL team. Like,
2: wait, what? Right. It, this is a very normal thing. People think like, this is like, Oh my God, sports betting games going to change everything. It's like, no, they've been doing it for years overseas. Like, yeah, I mean, sure. There's some laps and stuff, but like, whatever, like it's going to happen. And so, you know, like, again, these guys have been waiting for it. They've literally been waiting for it. And, uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna change the landscape and for so many different reasons, right? Um, you do not now not have to get to the point where all right, first the states are gonna adopt it. So now it's like, okay, I don't have to go to Vegas or I don't have to go to New Jersey to do that or Delaware, don't have to do these things. I can actually go right around the corner. That's one thing. So once you can actually go fifteen minutes down the road, that's one side of it. The crazier part is what happens when you don't have to go anywhere and it's just all right here. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: With live games, a part of it, and everything. So now you can do, be on your phone like you're on Instagram, watching a live game and placing a prop bet and making some money to eat dinner that you're now, because you were over here just trying to make sure you had enough money for your day. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it can happen that fast. I, 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 I mean, you think about it, right? Like, it can happen that you can be at the table and be like, ooh, all but the cats by the wind? All right, yeah. let me put this bet in real quick. $20, let us need $40. dollars yeah. we to make it five.
0: Right. James Harden going to hit this three. Boom, put I that bet in. It. Boom, put that bet
2: in, right? Probably, but you back and You're like, yes, thank yeah. you, God. <laughs> oh, you know, like, and that becomes a thing, right? Because, you know, before you would think about, and most people think it's like, oh, if you bet, you're a degenerate gambler. Mm-hmm. Eh, not really, though, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Yes, that exists. And yes, please bet responsibly. But the average person who maybe doesn't understand the bet and the parlays and the plus ones and minus ones and stuff like that can now go to or soon will be able to go to maybe their app or maybe the local grocery store. Or maybe this you know place right around the corner and place real-time bets that are very simple. Who's going to win? Who's going to hit the tip off? You know, okay. very simple, straightforward bets and make solid money. So that's a
0: grocery store. It'll be a Netflix machine, the lottery machine. And, then and a William it was Betty so Betty, was, was, yeah, was. yeah Betty, and, and I bet that line be around the corner. I bet <laughs> that line
2: be around the corner. They gonna be sitting there like, oh yeah, no, nah, I'm placing my bet. That game ain't seven o'clock. It's only three. Yeah, right, right, right. yeah, we good. Yeah, we good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm telling you, man. Funny story. So when um you mentioned Cat One opened, they had the William Hill slots, or uh, not the like slots, but there's like almost like ATM machines. Yeah. Uh, after the first three days, they weren't. They were full. With money, monumental didn't even like. Uh, they they didn't even know what to do it first. They were like, yeah, "We didn't expect these to be full in three days." Like yeah. they had to get uh, like hire like exclusively, obviously some some hired trucks to come and get this money. But <laughs> it threw them off so much because they didn't know how fast it was gonna go. And man, I'm telling you, it's it's uh it's amazing to see um the appetite. Mm-hmm. I think is interesting and appetite yeah. and and then I think it's gonna be more interesting to see is what happens when the average fan starts placing a bet or when the average fan can have a phone in the arena and place a bet right there. And now why the game is going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the funny, the funny thing is it gives you such a rush, but oh. it's tough because being the employee of the organization, you can't even bet like, Oh yeah, man, yeah. like I, you know, you can't be a part of it. But you, you can sit there and, and watch and be like, man. You, you,
2: you can't bet and it ain't worth risking your job for that for that uh-uh. bet. Unless, you uh-uh. unless you're unless throwing up some real bread that's a game changer, <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't worth it. And you know something that somebody else don't know, yeah, it ain't worth yeah, it. Yeah, no. It no. ain't worth it,
0: man.
2: But I remember it, it, those it,
0: yearly uh, betting classes we had to take before the season started. Every time we had to take a quiz and know that we can't bet. But it is exciting and I love that it's mainstream and you know, I I hope that also means that the generating of income doesn't just go towards the athletes, but the employees and and their salaries and the benefits and, you know, what you have at your disposal to play with for budgets and things like that can all go up with some of this money from betting.
2: Yeah, man, I think definitely think so, man. And the other thing too is, man, it, it takes games, you gotta remember, it takes games like, I love my, I love my sisters in the WNBA, but you know, for those from a business side know the WNBA in terms of performance is traditionally not as traditionally floats in the red, mm-hmm. um, but it takes games like that. And when you add a betting component to it, obviously your viewers and your rates are going to go up just naturally. I mean, you yeah. think about, think about the March Madness tournament. Think about when you have a bracket and when you put money in versus when you don't have a bracket, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. When you got a bracket, you like,
0: Hey, hold on. Who's playing right now? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Who won that game? Yeah. When you don't have a bracket, you're like, you are like, yo, yeah, the games are on. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch All one right.
2: later, but whatever. I'll yeah. catch it. Yeah. I'll catch it. It'll be cool. Like, I don't have a bracket this year, so it's cool. I'm not really tripping about it. So, like, yeah. you know, that shows you right there the intensity to like just how much more you're now in tune because you're a part of the game. You're now mm-hmm. invested fully in the game. And then to your point, Ben, it's exciting that rush is like, uh, man, it's amazing. It, it, one thing that most people probably don't know, the most bet on sport um, is actually women's tennis.
0: Is It is a very active sport for betting. Uh, just to put a plug out there, I said Naomi Osaka was going to win the U.S. Open. I'm going to do some uh, semifinal picks and some men's picks later. I didn't do so well on the men's side. But Djokovic, I mean, come on. He got knocked out because li- he hit a linesman. It wasn't like he'd <laughs> lost a tournament, but... Yeah. Women's tennis. And I wish I had Azarenka, Hurricane Serena mm-hmm. Williams, you know, is yeah. gonna be a big match and Naomi Osaka versus uh, Jennifer Brady is going to be good, too. But women's tennis
2: is, is big. Women's tennis is big, man. I mean, those girls play, too. But yeah, man, that's one of the bigger sports that uh, that do, like that the games are bet on um, because they look at it like there's no other factors. Right. You have one V1 and they you know, there's not five other people on the court. 11 people in the field, however many people on the ice, it's like, nah, it's just these two. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, who's going to win? It's, like, got a thing. Um, and the women's game is obviously – I'm not going to say more predictable, but you have you, – you know who's a stronger component than the men's side, I think, a little bit more. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's so interesting, man. And, and Naomi, I love you. I yeah. I think, you know, let's yeah, I happens. think – Yeah. Yeah, let's see what happens.
0: Uh, are, are you watching what's happening in the NBA? Are you enjoying this – the bubble games, the bubble playoffs? What uh, are you, as you observed it, did you like or not like from the experience? And then has it affected your ability to uh, enjoy the actual game on the court?
2: I love the bubble. I'm not even going to hold you. (laughs) (laughs) I personally think, It has been some of the best AAU NBA basketball (laughs) played. I love it. Um, You know, the games have been amazing. Um, The players have played up to a whole different level. Um, There's no distraction. You know, there's no distraction. I'm glad now that, you know, they're able to get some of their family down there. Um, but the talent level man it's so funny i think when you see some of these guys play in the summertime and maybe the guys who aren't the superstars and they play against regular guys and you're like yo he's really really good yeah. but he gets no time on the on the regular team and and like this bubble life has showed you like how good these guys truly are like there's it's, it's just talent out there it's like and you then you got to go have back have have dinner with them.
0: Yeah. So it's like you know, like you know,
2: like I, I loved, I loved the Donovan Mitchell,
0: Donovan Mitchell, and yeah,
2: Jamal Murray. <laughs> those were a classic. For them to be friends and dropping fifty on each other every other night and laughing about it like that mm-hmm. competitiveness, and that kind of thing is just, it's been great, man. I love the bubble. I mean, obviously, I you know, look, I, I love you know live games, and I definitely want them back. But man, these have been, these have been some games. These have been some games, man. And I and I truly appreciate that WNBA and the NBA and all those guys uh in all those different leagues for for one being a part of the bubble and taking a chance and uh it's huge. I mean to leave your family for that kind of time has gotta be draining on you. So, you know, big shout out for them. Um the only thing I would say I would wanna see a little different is um you know, I think the sit out was huge, um, you know, on the Black Lives Matter side, but you know, I think just one of the things I I would like to see a little bit more from the NBA is like, you know, granted, I, I appreciate the court, love the jerseys. Um, these are all great things, but um, maybe just a few more action steps in terms of, and maybe that's coming. Maybe, I'm you know, I'm just not privy to that. Um, but I would like that and maybe a little bit more like content that shows like what's truly happening out here. You know what I mean? Like maybe it plays during halftime. Um, you know, because I think it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to see it. Yeah. So, like, you know, to actually be able to see, like, a halftime piece of, like, maybe Kyrie's piece he did on Brianna, you know what I mean? Or see a halftime piece of, you know, stuff that happened to, you know, so many numerous Black people around the country. Just as a reminder, I mean, I think to be able to do that is then now really saying, like, it's putting it in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that has just a little more than just having words. Or, you know, mentioning it within the broadcast because that stuff happens so fast that, you know, it's here, gone. So it's in one ear, out the other. But when you have to sit and watch halftime for 15 minutes and seven minutes of that 15 is on a Black Lives Matter story, um, you have no choice but to listen. I mean, you can turn, but it's going to be in front of you to some level. And I think that's probably the only thing I would probably have wanted to see those guys do a little bit more. But I mean, still hats off to what they've been doing. It's an amazing mm-hmm. job. And, and uh, you know, look, it's not their job um, from the NBA side, but as black people who make up the NBA, it is our job. And so if they embrace who we are, they have to embrace everything. So, you know, hats off to the NBA. But, you know, I think we still can do more um, yeah. to really get to where we need to be.
0: And I think they're definitely trying. I mean, even Washington Mystics and Tasha Cloud said, "I'm not playing this season. I'm gonna, you know, really try to make change uh, in in social justice." Uh, and and the interesting thing of well, what you talked about, what the players are gonna do, what teams and leagues are gonna do. The NFL is starting as we're recording. They're gonna be playing tonight. We record this on Thursday as the first game. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl reigning Super Bowl champions, and. Their number one quarterback is a biracial quarterback. And this is the first time that you have, you're going to see what the new NFL looks like. Mm-hmm. The NBA in many ways, long before this, has always seemed to be kind of at the forefront. At at least, you know, in the last, I'd say, 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years at the forefront of, trying to make change, and maybe it's because it is predominantly an African-American league, you know, by the 70s uh, to now, but the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, his first time, you know, talking and and actually saying the words Black Lives Matter, seeing what he's going to do tonight, are players going to kneel, what they are going to do to kind of not double down, but reaffirm what the NBA in many ways started with this Mm -hmm. protest uh is it, going to be interesting how what do you expect to see from the nfl uh and, and let's just open it up to just the start of the nfl season it just seems like all of a sudden boom it's here right around the corner hasn't quite had the fanfare as it would have had in the past
2: yeah man um the nfl to your point man it snuck up on us I, i'll be honest with you i i to be a part of the nba the nhl wnba and to hear the conversations of the bubble um, to understand how they approach that and the different looks on that. And, and honestly, it was a very open dialogue. And I think that a lot of people were kind of riding that journey with the league that they were kind of putting this together. Um, the NFL was just like, here's a schedule. We're going to be playing mm-hmm. soon. Like You know what I mean? It was like, here's the game plan. This is what we're going to do. New mass, new nothing. Like, it was like, bro. Our schedule is gonna start. Hey, y'all! Don't we gonna have our games? Don't you worry about it. And at one point, it was like we gonna have fans. Um, you know, I, and, and I thought like, wow, like you know, I, it, it just came out of nowhere. Um, I'm interested to see the NFL. I think is is, is going to be interesting. I think that um, the NFL for African Americans is, is a very challenging landscape, and I said that for a few different reasons. Um, when you look at other top four leagues, right? When you look at MLB, when you look at NHL, when you look at NBA, um, these guys have guaranteed contracts. Um, so their money, no matter what, is going to come to them. Um, you can cut me, you can, I can get hurt. You still have to pay me this money. Uh, and the NFL has a very different dynamic, right? Uh, the NFL has this dynamic where you can get a amount of money. They say you make 105 million dollars like Jalen Ramsey just got but what is guaranteed and the guaranteed money is actually the only thing that you know for a fact is going to be yours the rest you have to play out with all different kind of you know guidelines and stuff like that bonuses and and, and different uh, things that are part of your contract and everybody knows you can go out in the NFL tomorrow and practice and and get hurt and it'd be a a career-ending injury uh, and never see a dollar again so I think that, you know, it's a very interesting landscape because the NFL is made up of mainly African-Americans, mm-hmm. African-Americans that come from poverty, uh, African-Americans who have risked their body for the NCAA for over so many years mm-hmm. and then have to come into the NFL and play on a rookie contract before they're able to actually get enough to truly feed their family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, but I also have to keep in mind, I understand their situation a little bit more. Um, They don't have the freedom that the NBA and other guys have, right? They don't. You know, we look at Colin Kaepernick as still an example, man. The commissioner said, I wish I would have took notice to this earlier. Mm -hmm. But how could you not? He kneeled and then told you why he was kneeling. Mm -hmm. And this man's still not in the league. He's man, still the quarterback
0: Quarterbacks been signed this week. And I'm just like, still don't see Tom
2: Kaepernick's name on any tickers. Who, who, who are these guys? Right. And shout out to Madden for putting them in the game. But like, you know, like you think about that and it's, it's hard for me as a black male to look at the NFL and say, man, I really feel you guys. I'm truly understand that you guys were sorry for that. It's hard for me to say that because I look at it where it's like, y'all blackballed this man. Mm-hmm. This man could not play. He still can't play. Just for fighting, what you're now seeing is the obvious pain of a a culture that has made up your league. Mm -hmm. He has now risked everything, and he can't play the game that he loved, that it took him to where he's at. And to me, it's just like, you know, those are the risks you have to take. And Colin was a very – he wasn't a super high-profile athlete at that time, but he built himself as that started happening. You look at some of the other guys on these rosters, they can't take that chance. You making 50, you making $500,000 every game or something like that or $200,000? You can't risk that. You making 2 million a year, 3 million a year. You, you ain't gonna mess your money up on that. You can't you can't risk that for your family as much as you want to. Yeah.
0: Um
2: so I I'm interested to see what the NFL is going to do, man. I I I'll be honest with you, I love our players. I mean, I think that I'll be interested to see what Paul, I mean Patrick says, and and I'll be interested to see if they take some knee some knees. I won't be surprised if they do or they don't. Um, but I mean, look, I think if we really wanted to make a statement, we would sit out a game or something like that. But those guys can't do that, and I totally understand that. You know, they're not like the NBA; they can't miss a game and miss that kind of money. Uh-huh. You know, they got 16 games, so they miss one game, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. that they will never see back where the NBA, it's like, you know, even if you lost out on a hundred, you got 82 more games, 81 more games that you got to play to get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing those guys get back on the field and play the game that they love, but I'm not looking for too much out of the NFL in terms of, you know, really bringing light to black lives matter. I mean, if they, if they truly want to do something to me, you know, the systematic racism that exists in the NFL and the football league is just has never been addressed, truly. The number of coaches, the number of minority owners, um, the way these guys' contracts are handled, the you know, the the payment that happens to these guys after they play uh in the league and, and at, you know, the career after that, um the systematic injustice that these guys face just on the NFL side to me, I think is it just it's huge. And until I truly see some of that change. It's hard for me to get excited about the NFL and what they bring to the table. Mm
0: -hmm. It'll be interesting to to see tonight and over the weekend as the NFL is get started getting started. As I like to say, you know, we call them, we say Black Lives Matter. I like to say, in many ways, no, these are live Black matters that we have to deal with every day. Uh, And uh, it's it's you know, we support each other. We hope that everyone uh, in the country in the world you know, you may not be going through the same things that a black person is going through, but there's some way that you might be able to relate and understand, empathize and listen and uh, I'll be watching and listening to what happens in the NFL over the, the first couple of weeks of the season and hope that they all stay healthy because they are not in a bubble either. They're not
2: in a bubble. They're <laughs> they not in not a in bubble, the bubble, man.
0: Uh, so I, I hope they all stay healthy and can can be with their family. And, and we can all enjoy sports as as what used to be kind of a respite for what we're dealing with life. But at the same time, it's kind of like intertwined with what we're dealing with with the pandemic and, you know, the social injustices and the, and the civil unrest. But, uh, yeah, let's hope for better yeah. days, Carrington.
2: Let's hope, man. Big shout-out to my brother Cam, though. <laughs> I am I'm, I'm ready for Cam. I'm not even a New England fan. I'm a Cam fan. So that's my, that's my guy right there. I'm I'm excited for what he's going to bring to the table.
0: Yo, man. the two teams that people are going to be talking about the most are New England and Tampa Bay. That's Those are the two teams right there.
2: I mean, look. Let's 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 be real. Tom Tom's are great. I don't care where you at. You know, I you know, I I just want to see what this man Bill does with a mobile quarterback. I want to see what Bill does with a mobile quarterback Uh, because he's he's Greg Popovich to me on the football side. He is an X and O um, genius, and uh, I'm so excited. I'm excited for Cam. I'm excited to you know. I will take that back. I'm excited as for you like the players man I'm excited for them to get back to what they love and that's always mm-hmm. the thing when you get to get do what you love and, and take your mind off things that's that's an amazing thing but I hope my brother Cam has an amazing season
0: and I'll leave you with this as a not a good note not so much about Cam or Bill but it is what it is man you've mentioned Greg Popovich first time since 1999 has not made the playoffs hey this, this will be a new day for New England and it will yeah. be interesting to see how well that team does. So it'll be fun.
2: Thanks, yeah, guys. definitely be fun.
0: I appreciate, appreciate it. you having me, brother. Have a good one. All right. I want to thank Carrington J. Simons for coming on the show. We had a great conversation, as usual, as I do with him. I hope you enjoyed Haley's comments and my Kardashian story. Thank you for listening or watching on the Props Network YouTube page. Please share it and leave a review. You can catch past pods and subscribe for future ones on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, and more. Ciao for now.